Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 42 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is about managing your CEO on ethics and compliance issues. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today uh, on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. This is a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry, and today we're going to discuss strategies for a chief compliance officer uh, in managing his or her relationship with the chief executive officer or CEO. And the reason for looking at this issue is fairly obvious. An ethics and compliance program, we all know, uh, depends upon the visible and uh, support of the CEO. An effective compliance program requires tone at the top, and your CEO is going to be the important contributor to uh, that tone at the top. The other reason to look at this is that more and more CEOs, chief compliance officers, are reporting directly to the CEO. At least one-third of CCOs now report to the CEO. This increase has been the result of the movement to empower chief compliance officers and companies and make them independent from the legal function. An independent and empowered CCO is now the norm in most organizations, and part of that change is reflected in the elevation of the CCO to the C-suite and to a direct reporting relationship with the CEO, usually on a monthly basis. This change means that the CCO has to develop a positive working relationship with the CEO. They don't have to be friends. They don't have to be uh, buddies who go out and get drinks or whatever. It means that the CCO has to maximize his or her influence with the CEO, secure the support of the CEO, and leverage that support to ensure success throughout the organization as the CCO tries to implement the the, uh, uh, compliance program. So when you approach your CEO, it is important to identify what kind of CEO do you work for. Knowing the personality traits of your CEO will give you some insights on how to approach the CEO, how to position uh, the compliance program and the needs of the function in the company's governance structure and hopefully secure the support and active support from the CEO. But here are some important issues to consider when approaching the CEO. How did the CEO earn his or her position? Has she worked or he worked within the company for a long period of time and worked her or his way up? If so, he or she will know the company and have a special place in his or her heart for the way that the that she or he rose to the top. A sales, for example, I've seen CEOs that started out through sales or was an engineer in the company who rose to the top, and they'll have a perspective that's based upon their own experience in that way. A lot of articles have been written about CEO personality studies and observations, and many of these articles focus on the CEO's need for achievement, a CEO's need for control, comfort with risk-taking, competitiveness, and overall type A personalities. But let's look at, at, and maybe we, and these are sort of generalizations about CEOs, but I think they're important uh, characteristics to look at about a CEO in terms of learning how to approach them, using your interpersonal skills, what are the ways and the strategies to sort of 
build a relationship with uh, the CEO. So most CEOs tend to be comfortable with making significant changes, and they want to put their stamp on the changes in a company. They associate themselves, for good or for bad, with a broad set of changes. In a recent survey or study on this issue, nearly 50% of responding CEOs associate themselves with significant change that others see as too risky. So higher level executives, the higher you go, are more willing to implement significant change. As the level of an executive decreases, as you go, let's say, down to the lower levels of the executive core, those executives are less likely to seek change and are more cautious. So a CCO has to assess whether the CEO is a broad change agent or a cautious manager. And boards regularly uh, compare their CEO to executives, you know, some of the, let's say what I would say, rock star CEOs, like the late Steve Jobs, who talked about making a dent in the universe as his change factor, or other larger-than-life personalities. And if you're the, you're the CEO being compared to Steve, Steve Jobs, you're going to feel pressure to undertake more and bigger changes just to have any hope of comparing favorably. Another way to look at the CEO is to observe the CEO's focus and their approach to decision-making and ways or with, in which they deal with business issues. In this approach, I like to break uh, CEOs into sort of three categories. There's kind of the entrepreneur, the operator, and maybe somebody who's like an artist. So let, let me let me talk about each of these categories for just a sec. An entrepreneur is, again, a risk taker who pushes the envelope and wants the business to grow. Innovation can be a key to growth, and big ideas and pushes for discoveries and new approaches go hand-in-hand hand with this type of CEO. So let's Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, uh, Mark ben Benoff from Salesforce are good examples of risk-takers. This type of CEO is comfortable with change and risk and looking for big, big payoffs. Um, so that's one type. But an operator CEO, and I've seen examples of these, is more focused on sort of managing the business, the people, and the company system and systems and keeps order and control over the company's functions in order to maintain consistent quality. The perfect example for that is Warren Buffett from Berkshire Hathaway because he's an operator CEO who insists on uh, strict discipline, his compliance program. They have huge expectations in that company in terms of their operating companies. Um, so uh, that would be uh, one example. Um, an artist CEO is somebody who focuses on the quality of the products and services and staying true to the original vision of the company. This CEO wants to maintain you know, the company's strategic vision, the quality of its products and services, and values the company's uh, strategic vision. Now, a CEO's personality will be dominated, I think, by one of these three personality characteristics. And that is not to say that they don't have a small part of themselves that may display other characteristics, but it's clear that the predominant characteristic controls that CEO's overall approach. 
it's also worth noting that CEOs are usually great executors. They prioritize. I mean, they believe in speed, efficiency, being proactive. They usually have very strong interpersonal skills and are charismatic rather than analytical. In practice, they turn out to be very strong strategists and creative more than organized and attentive to detail, except for possibly the operator type. Um, I mean, the story about Warren Buffett is that he spends, you know, his free time uh, reading companies' annual reports. Um, so who knows? But you've got to look at, at how your CEO operates. Um, and always remember that CEOs are under, you know, a huge demand by both their internal and external uh, stakeholders, and especially if the CEO is a publicly known and popular uh, business leader. Now, chief compliance officers who report to CEOs usually meet with the CEO once a month, and it's important to use that opportunity for important purposes. So the question then becomes twofold, and I like to look at it this way. One, what type of CEO do you work for? And two, how should you describe, how should you describe and position ethics and compliance to gain acceptance and support from the CEO and other members of the senior executive team. So let's consider some possibilities. Assume you work for an aggressive, risk-taking CEO who is driven to expansion of the company and innovative approaches to the market. And assume further that the CEO has a strategy that is aggressively built on acquisitions. Um, and many uh, forward-thinking CEOs know that an acquisition strategy requires that the company maintains a strong culture of ethics and compliance. There's, a, there's an uh, E&Y survey that showed that uh, over 50% of CEOs know that their culture is important to any sort of expansion strategy, be it by aggressive uh, acquisitions or by internal growth, organic growth. So, but that the culture, their culture is critical uh, in the acquisition context to acquiring companies and integrating them back into a company where there's a strong culture for ultimate success. Ethics and compliance goes hand in hand with this strategy. Um, and ethics and compliance can basically support an acquisition strategy and be part of the business driver. And a focus on this key factor will help ethics and compliance obtain the required support and influence. In other words, it's part of, it's an essential aspect of the acquisition strategy, the need to integrate. All of that is important for um, this situation where uh, you're trying to position ethics and compliance. Now, let's take the example of an operator CEO. And the opportunities for compliance with the operator CEO. So remember that an operator, to me, is going to look for cost-effective, cost-benefit analyses to make rational business decisions. They understand the importance. And the one thing is uh, uh, an operator CEO knows that reputation and integrity, the goodwill of the company, is an important driver of the value of the company. So positioning compliance in this framework, to me, means it's important to emphasize culture and robust internal controls to keep the company from experiencing any significant problems, not just with the government, but with its vendors, suppliers, customers, and partners, 
as well as key stakeholders, shareholders, uh, and other in the community in which they operate. So that uh, that type of scenario to me means you can position compliance with those two key factors, culture and robust controls, and the importance of protecting uh, the goodwill and reputation of the company. There have been studies that have shown as the larger the company gets, the better, the more focus there is on the value of its reputation. A difficult and frustrating scenario, which I've also seen, is when dealing with a narcissistic CEO who believes that he or she has the answer to everything, to every problem, and therefore never needs instruction or real advice. And they usually just want reflected back what they already believe or already are doing. Um, Some of are successful, notwithstanding these uh, attitudes, because of their hard-charging strategy, but some suffer significant blindsides, and eventually reality catches up with them. Compliance in those situations is unlikely to get a real foothold and support from the CEO. Many times, the chief compliance officer is just trying to survive without rocking the boat, having to agree with the CEO's perceptions of compliance, and avoiding any confrontation with the CEO. That's a di- this is a difficult situation for a chief compliance officer. Now, I know this whole approach sort of sounds somewhat simplistic, and I don't mean to offer categorical solutions to interpersonal relationships. Let's see, it's a delicate dance between the CEO and the CCO, and one that requires every avenue for persuasion and sensitivity in terms of interpersonal relationships uh, and skills in maintaining and building a relationship with the CEO. And you have to look for what are the strengths of the CEO, Uh, the CEO, and what are the uh, weaknesses, what are the insecurities uh, and uh, that you have to sort of make sure you don't push any buttons on those. Um, When faced with, uh, you know, with a CEO that is not supportive or a narcissist who is not a good listener, a chief compliance officer can employ some alternative strategies uh, to communicate. Uh, the compliance message and needs. In other words, you have your monthly meeting, but there are other ways to also reinforce the message, uh, to build other support for the message um, of compliance. And here's some that I've seen uh, work in this context. One is find your compliance allies and get them to support or speak up in support of your compliance ideas and initiatives. Uh, An internal auditor can always be a good partner. A general counsel can be a good partner. Uh, Even the the chief financial officer can be a good partner. And uh, and then they may have a really good relationship with the CEO or even with the audit committee chair and can help to get your message across. Number two, make sure you schedule a training session for the board and the CEO and senior executives. Make these sessions an annual requirement and always use the opportunity to communicate ethics and compliance trends, ethics and compliance needs, and the status of the program and and what is needed. Number three, develop a relationship with the audit committee chair, assuming they are the ones who are responsible for compliance program oversight. Have coffee, regular calls, monthly meetings with the audit chair and or other supportive board members. Build that relationship such that they can 
pick up the phone and call you and ask you a question and vice versa. Uh, it's worth attending to that relationship. It can come in very, very handy uh, at key moments. And then four, and very importantly, and I don't mean to, to indicate that it's not so important by putting it last, put together a senior compliance committee consisting of senior executives, legal, internal audit, human resources, information technology, security, chief financial officer, other fi a controller, uh, other key players and uh, key operational parts of your program, people that need to be operationalized to help and support you, and seek their support in the compliance message. In other words, have reports go to the CEO from this committee with a consistent message of compliance to reinforce the message that you are making on a monthly basis with the CEO. Well, those are my suggestions, and we've come to the close. And thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and the financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.bokofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our new podcast series. You can contact me at my email address, mbolkoff at bolkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals.